Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey. Welcome back, and we are live at the PLA conference in Nashville, back with another author interview, and we're so excited for this one. We are welcoming Walter Thompson Hernandez. Hi, Walter. Hey, Lainey. What's going on? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. So we're here to talk about The Compton Cowboys, which comes out um, very soon in April, and this is a book that has just really resonated with me, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, so a little bit about Walter before we get into the questions and the book. Um, you're based in L.A., and you began your career at the New York Times in 2018, um, but you're also a fellow with Surfacing, the paper's multimedia reporting team covering subcultures, marginalized, and offbeat communities around the world. You've written for NPR, Fusion, The Guardian, I could go on, um, but you're reporting from six continents and all over the U.S. That's insane. Um, but we're really happy to have you because the Compton Cowboys Nonfiction book coming out in April. It's uh, again blown away, and we've been talking before the recording about how much it's meant to me. And it's just a story about a group of black cowboys and girls, cowgirls in Compton. Um, but it's also it's not only that. It's this rich history that underlies this that I didn't know about, and I learned a lot. Um, so tell us how you discovered this group. I know you knew them way before a lot of other people did because you grew up around there, um, and how the original article came and then the book later. Great, of course. Um, so I um, grew up and still live around Compton. Um, I live about five minutes away from, five to ten minutes away from the ranch. And, you know, I was about six or seven years old um, when my mother and I would like often drive to Compton to like go shopping you know we'd buy like t-shirts or like food or whatever and on Alameda Boulevard was like a really popular place where like black cowboys would, like you know bring out their horses every weekend right and, and like I remember like so vividly the first time I saw these black cowboys and like you know I was in the car with my mom she had this like really old white Volvo <laughs> and I looked to my right and there's these like two black cowboys you know it's like really beautiful men like wearing cowboy hats and like like you know boots like the whole nine right and i look at my mom and you know and and, and i'm shocked because like at this point you know like in school like i've only learned about you know like white cowboys right and so i look at my mom and like my mom wasn't surprised right yeah. but then because like she already seen them before yeah. but that was the first time i ever saw like a black person on a horse right so that moment to me was, was was really like, you know, like a watershed moment because that's sort of like what compelled me to think about this story almost 25 years later um, as a New York Times writer. And, you know, I was curious about this story, right? Because, you know, I thought about these black cowboys. I thought about the feeling I had when, when I was six and seeing them, and, and I wondered if they were still around. So I did what any 
millennial reporter does, and I look to Instagram. Yeah. Right? They are all over Instagram. Oh my god! And right, I love it. I love it. One hundred percent. So I I sent them like a DM. I was like, hey, you know, I'm a New York Times writer. You know, my name is Walter. I'm from the area. I'd love to speak with you and interview you. And like, you know, a minute later they responded, and the rest is history. You know, and and yeah. and, and that really powerful New York Times article led to this book. Yeah. So was there a, like what was what was your initial reaction when you were like I want to write this story? Was there a lot of skepticism or yeah? Yeah. I think, you know, my editors were really supportive and really great, but they were like black cowboys and content. Like <laughs> Right. This is a joke, right? And I was like, "No, that culture exists." Here's some like you know photos and, and, and older articles about them. They're like, okay, we still don't believe it, <laughs> but sure, right? Yeah, right. Go ahead and, and and um report on it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny, but so I grew up. I was like at horse shows every weekend. Oh really? I'm from the south, so we were always. Where are you I'm from not a south? big. Uh, well, I'm originally from Arkansas, and then oh, I moved wow. to Mississippi. But okay. I did. I'm not. I don't ride. Okay. I was like the only kid that had a pony and didn't want it, <laughs> okay. you know? A lot of work. A lot of work. That's right. That's right. But it's funny because I went home for the holidays and I was telling my dad, who is all into horses and that's his job and he works with them all the time, and I was like, oh, you have to read this book. Like, And he's like, oh, well, that's not new. Like, there are black cowboys everywhere. And I said, oh, but these. And I like showed him pictures. He was like, but I didn't know in Compton. Right. Like, so it's so funny that people in this world don't even know that yeah. this subset exists. 100%. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like really telling right I think there's a sort of like in cowboy culture what I've learned is that there's this like dichotomy right there's like rural cowboys right. which you know which have been around like yeah. white and black cowboys in the south but like there are also also urban cowboys you know yeah. in, in, in Philadelphia in Baltimore yeah. and in places like Compton and I think you know Compton is arguably like one of the most stigmatized cities in the world you know comes with its 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 you know sensational accounts of the city and we've never heard this part of the Compton story, right? right? About its like rich history of black cowboys. Yeah, I'm interested to, because you've interviewed a lot of people throughout the whole US that have to do with this. And so, do you think that you've heard more of like Southern or ranch cowboys more than maybe in the city because they're dwindling? Like, because I know that's a problem. Like in Philadelphia, they're losing a lot of their space. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's happening, right? Like, I think. You know, in, in Compton, what's happening is that there used to be more black cowboys, right? Mm. But the city has changed demographically. You know, Compton, mm. like in the early 90s, was over 80% African American. Today it's over, in most parts of Compton, 80% Latino. So um, displacement has really affected you know, black cowboy culture in Compton. So a, a lot of its black cowboys have moved east to cities, you know, with more space, right. like San Bernardino, Fontana, et cetera. So, this group of friends, you know, are, I mean, can potentially be, you know, Compton's last black cowboys. Mm-hmm. And I think this book kind of shows the sense of urgency around that question. Right. Yeah, and that's at the crux of the story, too, because they're they're potentially losing their ranch. And I think that that is super. Can you talk about, like, that that story, too? Because they are, they're like a new generation. Right. Yeah, so the ranch was founded in 1988 by Maisha um, Akbar, who is Randy Hook's aunt. And so they were sort of all raised in that Compton Junior Posse program. And a few years ago, you know, Maisha, who's a lot older now, she had a stroke a few years ago, she decided it was time to sort of like, you know, pass the reins, right? Like, so to speak, you know, pun intended, (laughs) right? To to Randy, her nephew. And so, you know, it, it wasn't just like a normal passing note. 
what happened is that you know the her her organization had uh, a board you know very like wealthy white you know folks who had money who would donate who would find people to to donate so when she passed that on that board also retired right so Maisha retired and that board retired mm-hmm. essentially like leaving these young black men and women on their own to, to fend for themselves so you know um in a sense like they sort of gave up on the ranch and on the cowboys. So the story then becomes like, what happens to the ranch? You know, it costs about twenty thousand dollars to keep the ranch alive every single month. Most of that is through like donations and, yeah. and some grants and you know some like entertainment shoots, like modeling and stuff like that yeah. that they do sometimes. But you know, it's a constant sort of month to month experience for them. And so you know, the central protagonist is the ranch, right? And and I'm, I'm asking questions about well, you know. What happens if, if the ranch goes, maybe their friendships go. And if the ranch goes, so does this like place where they come to, to heal and escape often, mm-hmm. the life that they lead outside of the ranch, you know, that goes too. So there there's potential ripple effects, right? Yeah, right. Well, I also want to say congratulations because you have a Whiting Award yeah, for yeah. this. Um, creative so nonfiction, right? Thank you. And I have this really great quote from the jury that I just I have to read because it always just I have to step back. It's so great. So the book has the potential to disrupt some of the prevalent toxic stereotypes about black urban experience. Thompson Hernandez writes with rigor, gusto, and compassion, allowing his protagonists to have given him unparalleled access to be more than victims or villains. There's a genuine hope in these pages that is neither blind nor cheap. It's vexed and it's real and it's genuine, bringing a sense of possibility rather than despair to our conversations about inequality in American life. That is a good quote. (laughs) That's really powerful. Um, I feel so honored that someone or that a jury of people felt that way about this this book because that's exactly what I was thinking about. You know, like, these these young men and women are not villains or victims. Like, they're cowboys, right? And they are both imperfect and flawed and perfect and layered. They're all these things at yeah. once, and, like, I hope that comes out in these pages. It really does. They, they don't, they're not, like I was saying, they're not flat. They, like, live and breathe, and, you know, it's it, it's great nonfiction because you can learn something and you understand someone more, and that's wonderful, but, like, your story within it is helpful, and, like, no one could have told the story other than you. So can you talk about, in in the book, I think you mainly kind of put yourself at the end, the front and the back, and let them live in the middle. So what was that decision of, like, how much to put yourself in and, and how much to leave out? Yeah, like, my initial response to that was that I don't want to be in this story. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like a certain respect for the, their story and I didn't want to take anything away from what they've experienced you know like that's been my tendency over the years is to not insert myself into a story you know like I feel so honored that a person or a community you know will sit down with me and ask me questions I want to sort of be like a channel you know like a medium between like their story um, but I also felt that you know to your point I, I think this was like a really specific experience so much of what I experienced was like you know, an evolution. I think I grew and I sort of like made sense of my own experience, you know, as, as a man of color growing up around the same time and same places as these cowboys. It was kind of something where like I had to do that um, because it also makes it like a much more personal story. Mm-hmm. This story means a lot to me. And I think, you know, 
there's like a certain evolution that I experienced, that the Cowboys experienced, and I hope readers can also experience too. Yeah. So what do you think that other people in the community can, like, what, is, what do they mean to the community? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're like, you know, Compton superstars, mm-hmm. right? They ride around every single day, and people stop them for photos. People, like, will stop them on the street, will honk at them and wave at them, <laughs> you know. But then there's also people in Compton who have never heard of them, right? So it, it's oh, this wow. interesting sort of juxtaposition of, of, like, being known and not known in your community. So I think um, so many of these cowboys are, like, riding essentially, like, to be remembered, but also to not be forgotten, right? So mm-hmm. the more they ride in Compton, the more they hope that they'll continue to have an impact because, you know... Um, it's not every day that, that people see black men and women on horses in, yeah. in, in Compton or around the world, so I think they're really aware of that. Yeah, and we talked about offline, so I want to talk more now, but like what this universal experience can be, because what you're saying of like not want to be forgotten, like that's a universal yeah. experience. Yeah, so yeah. what can what does can everybody learn? One hundred percent. So I think this is uh, like. It's a very specific and, and you know story uh, about Compton, about a group of friends in Compton. But I think there's there's something really, you know, uh, wide-reaching and universal about this. I think at the heart of this book, I think this is a book about geography, right? This is a book about place and about a ranch, but it also serves, I think, um, to show us that you know at, at the end of the day, we we all go somewhere to make sense of our lives and to heal, you know? And for these cowboys, the ranch serves as a place where they go to make sense of a lot of the, the trauma, the violence, the, the drug and alcohol abuse that they've experienced both directly and indirectly in their lives. And, you know, without this ranch, I don't know where they would go for that. So there's something universal about this. And, you know, we, we all go to, to different places in our lives to, to like, you know, find redemption and to heal and it happens to be a ranching hunter yeah i mean and of course the other character the horse like we they have these horses that mean so much to them and so how does that help in their healing process too yeah, absolutely so each horse that is on the ranch you know was once a throwaway horse right it was once mm-hmm. a horse that was maybe a racetrack horse right um whose whose legs got weak and it had to be sort of like given up on you know some of the horses have experienced like abuse and trauma some of them are are, are the victims of other things so these horses come with that history um, and you know sadly a lot of these cowboys also come with that history too PTSD exists in urban communities for folks that are often similar to warlike environments around the world so what I found is that both the cowboys and the horses seem to have a chip on their shoulder and you know it it sort of created a really unique sort of like trauma bonding, right? Mm. Where it's like the cowboys thought they were healing the horses, but essentially the horses were healing the cowboys. Mm. And, you know, that sort of experience, it's it's heartbreaking, it's Mm. like beautiful, it's joyful, but it's honest, right? And so I think that sort of interplay between horse healing and human healing, to me, is, is, is also at the heart of this book, right? And, and it, it speaks to equine therapy. It speaks to the benefits of, of equine therapy and healing PTSD-like symptoms, especially in urban communities um, in Compton. Yeah. I mean, they have the, the motto, streets raised us, horses saved us. And so I really like that. I mean, it, yeah, that's really poetic. You think you're giving one thing, we get so much. It's kind of like being a parent. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and I also wrote like not even emotionally. Like the sometimes they physically save them if they're down the street. People don't really know how to deal with someone on a horse. Like, yeah, yeah. what are the reactions? Mm-hmm. 
Well, like there's a change that happens, right? So many of the interviews and also experiences that I experienced with them because these weren't sit-down interviews. Yeah. Like, You're following them. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I was literally following them around Compton, you know, trying to catch up to, to a horse. So, so I, I, you know, I was in great shape. Yeah. Right this, but because I'm running around Compton with like a recorder in my hand, sometimes the camera, sometimes both, you know, like a madman. Yeah. Right. But um, there is a change, you know, so many times, you know, we would walk to the store or we'd walk somewhere and the police would stop us, people would, would stop their cars and look at us, but like you put someone on a horse in this environment and everything changes. Right. You know, cops pass by and wave, uh, people pass by and honk their horns in support. So there's a shift that happens and I think, you know, again like that's kind of a, a tragic part of the story. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the Young Readers Edition because I yeah. think that's so interesting. But before that, where where do the Cowboys go now? Like, they have this thriving Instagram. Like, they, they crack me up because every time it comes <laughs> up, I like to watch the, the live. But where do they go from here? Like, at the end of the book, they, they have a little hope. But but what's new, next for them? Yeah, um, I think they still have hope. And I think their ranch is doing a little better than it was when I, you know, met with them a couple mm. years ago. But, you know it's not a for sure thing like there's still the the threat of the ranch closing down but i think you know they're really enjoying having the impact that they have right now i think cowboy culture is really having a moment you know right. like culturally right now yeah. and you know arguably these cowboys kind of set the scene for this like yeah. cultural cowboy moment so i That's think true. they're really enjoying that and they're also continuing to make an impact in their community they're still writing they're you know yeah. doing a lot of positive things in the community and they also have a youth program that they right. that they restarted that is also thriving too yeah that's really important that's that's great so the young readers edition did you do this together or did that decision come later to do the yeah um that was a little bit later okay. uh kind of halfway through the process but i started writing that after this book and mm -hmm. you know i think both of these books are really important but the young readers version to me is kind of directly speaking to the like eight nine year old me right mm -hmm. yeah. you know and, and really speaking to the impacts that like how important this book is to have in schools and libraries right because you know we don't learn about about black cowboys as young people like we learn about John Wayne and about like Marlboro cigarette ads and it's always like like a white dude with like you know cigarette in his mouth wearing a cowboy hat right. and, and that's cool but that's not the full story mm -hmm. so the young readers version for me is kind of like you know a shout out to all the other young people who also experience this like erasure of, of right. black cowboy culture and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so I, it's, I was telling you that somebody came up and they were like, it's so hard to find good narrative nonfiction for kids that it's not a textbook because they're like falling asleep when they're reading it. Yeah. Um, and so she wanted to know and I like automatically was like, you have to get the Young Readers Edition version, but it's, it's a good companion, but there's a lot of language and things. So what did you have to decide to, to take out and keep? For sure, I, I mean, I, I mean, to begin with, you know, a lot of the cursing, yeah. the language ha had to be done away with, the references to, to violence and death and alcohol and drugs. Mm. You know, um, not nine to 10 year olds probably aren't, aren't, aren't ready to be reading about that. So I had to yeah. take that all away. But you know, it was also a challenge to, to, to write to a younger audience. Like it, mm. it, it really forced me to, to sit back in my sort of 11, 12, nine year old self and, and think mm. about like the language that I would have needed at that age. So. Yeah. It was definitely a process, and I'm, I'm really happy how it turned out. Yeah, it's great because now they can read them in in union, like parents and 
and kids. Absolutely, like yeah. like these books can be um, like a multi generational experience, and, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, they're gonna live on, and it's it's so great. That's all I have. <laughs> cool. Um, thank you for doing this. It's really truly, I love this book. So thank you so much, listeners. Go get the book. It comes out in April, and you and the Young Readers Edition, which comes out the same day, so you can have them together and um, enjoy. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, everybody. I hope you're doing so well during this crazy time. We asked for you guys to send us a message, tell us what you're reading while you're working from home, and we have a really great message from our friend Jennifer Winbury. Thanks for calling in. Um, Stay safe out there, everybody, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Hi, Library Love Fest. It's Jennifer Winbury from Hunterdon County, and I'm just calling to say I finished Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas last night, and it is so deliciously gothic. Um, That's secluded university far off in nowhere, Pennsylvania, that nobody can get in and out of for three years, and you have to forget your past life, and it all sounds like a perfect dream, but then she starts, then they start finding the labs underneath, and then it gets turns creepy and horrific. Thank you, and thanks for everything you've been doing for us in this time. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.